Welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold. I'm Mark Green from the Cars Yeah! podcast. I'm here with Keith Martin from Sports Car Market Magazine. This is Buy, Sell, Hold, show number 19. Welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold, the sports car market podcast. Market experts and car friends for over 30 years, Keith Martin and Mark Green have come together through their mutual love for collector cars. Keith and Mark will take you on a ride into the collector car market, talking with industry experts, helping you navigate your collector car journey so that you know when to make your own decisions to buy, sell, or hold. So, Mark, who are we talking with today? Well, today we're going to be talking with John Shirley. Uh, I've known John for, well, ever since I moved up here to the Pacific Northwest. He and I both had Lotus 18s. We raced with Sovereign. Uh, of course, I know him for his cars. I spent a lot of time in the Spinner Garage. He was so grateful for letting us shoot cars in his garage back in the day. John Shirley is a longtime and enthusiastic classic car collector. He was an active vintage racer for 20 years, has driven in rallies around the world, and has won a multitude of Concours awards in both the USA and Europe, including Best of Show at Pebble Beach Concours de Elegance. John worked with Tandy Corporation for 25 years way back, and he left to join what was then kind of a small startup called Microsoft, where he became the president, chief operating officer, and director. He retired from Microsoft in 1990 and from their board of directors in 2008. John is also an avid fine art collector and philanthropist in the world of art. Hey, John, welcome to Cars. Yeah, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, thanks, Mark. Good to have you here. So, John, let's jump right in. If you were to take the collector car market today and describe it with just one word, what would that word be and why would you choose it? Well, <laughs> I'm not sure about today, but if I <laughs> <laughs> back a few weeks before the coronavirus occurred, I, I think the word I would use is, is soft. Only the very, very best, very limited cars seem to be able to still command uh, the prices that they were a year, 18 months before. Um, everything else seems to have softened out, and it might be because there's simply too many auctions, too many places to buy cars. It keeps seem to be multiplying. You know, and I, I'm not, you know, you guys follow the market. I, I look at it, you know, when, mainly when I read your magazines. But talking to people who have been at Retro, for example, it just seems that it's, it's kind of soft. Yeah, so when you're sitting around talking with your friends, I mean, one of the things that, w- that we all do is say, gee, do you think this is it's a good time to buy or a good time to sell or any of those things? So you're saying that it's a thoughtful time? Well, I think what could be happening with the stock market meltdown, if that it hits the collector market, which it often does, but not at the same time. So maybe it'll be out some months. There could be a, a fairly significant uh, a drop in prices. I mean, to me, the last time this happened was 1990. Uh-huh, a long time uh, ago. Where there was a really big co- correction. And yeah. there's a possibility that might happen. It just depends on how bad this thing gets because it's going to be all over the world. And well, that's talking about the market at large. Today on this show, we're going to talk about three specific cars that have been important to you in your life. One that you've bought, one that you've sold, perhaps reluctantly, and one that you'll never sell. So let's start off with the buy. Can you tell us about a car that you really had to chase, that you really wanted? It took a long time and what it was like when you finally got it? Yeah, I guess I picked my my 1954 Ferrari 375 mm, the Roberto Rossellini. 
Mussolini car, it had sort of bubbled up that this man in France had, had had this thing in pieces uh, for 25 years. It, he was sort of maybe trying to restore it. And there were a couple pictures of what it looked like back in its day. He was a kind of a reluctant seller. He was being pushed by his wife. He had three cars apart, two Bugattis and this, being pushed by his wife to sell one, or sell two and rebuild one, finish one. And uh, he did not like American car dealers. And the man who brought it to my attention was um, one. And we got a, a an Englishman who resided in France. France lived to a married to a French woman and spoke excellent French to quietly approach him. And, and we did this sort of dance that just to try and get to meet him and see the car, you know, and I, I'm not sure he was happy about even meeting an, uh, an American at all, but I, I know he probably got resigned to the fact that, that he maybe shopped a little bit around France and nobody else was interested in it because you know, it, it was a, literally boxes of, of, of parts and, um, Everything was pretty much a part. Yeah. How long did it take you from when you first heard about the car until you saw the car in boxes? Um, it was several months. I mean, this was not a super long, drawn-out thing. It was, but it was several months, and we sort of had to dicker about what we'd be willing to pay for it if it was as advertised and if it was real, because no one had ever seen this this thing that we'd run into. So finally, uh, he let us go go see us and we went to the engine was in part with pieces of it in two different uh, garages and the rest of it was in the basement of his car uh, of his of his home and there, there was a box that had all of the gauges for the car still with all the original wiring you can imagine how filthy it was and you know it was a very strange approach to <laughs> restoration <laughs> Yeah. Luckily, he didn't go any further than he did. So, John, um, right, I, so when when you first saw the boxes, were you disappointed, excited, encouraged? What was your feeling looking at this pile of stuff? Well, I you know I already bought some cars that were in great need of restoration, and and uh, what I hoped to have found, which was not quite what we found, was something had been taken apart and not any restoration attempted. So I was happy to see the box of gauges being totally original, but I couldn't, you know, all we had were little scraps of the seat material because he'd taken a lot of stuff off and just thrown it away. And he repainted the body and had Bondo on it. And But we could see the body and it was out in the street and it looked pretty good. And it was pretty clear this, this was the car. It didn't have the right lights. It didn't, you know, there were bits and pieces uh, missing, but it was real, and it was the correct engine, and the serial numbers were right, and the car was real. And the most telling thing that we found was this wonderful green booklet that all Italians had to keep in their car, and it was their tax payment records. And there it was, you know, Roberto Rossellini, his name, and showing he paid the taxes, I believe, for six or seven years that he owned the car. In, in Rome. So to me, that was it. When I saw that, I said, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to close this deal one way or another. Yeah. <laughs> and my wife spoke some French because we lived in Belgium for a while. And, and she started talking to his wife. And we started, you know, talking to him. And 
And we, we literally sat down in his, his living room and did the deal. And it was a contract was handwritten in French and agreed on a, agreed on a final price and did the deal. And his wife broke out some champagne and, <laughs> cool. and he started, he started to cry. <laughs> yeah. I'll bet. Now for those listeners out there that might not be familiar, cause this is a basically was a custom made one off car, right? Custom made by, by Scagliati did the body. Um, it, it had been a Pininfarina 375 open car, race car. Rossellini had raced it a little bit in Sweden. He owned it for maybe nine or ten months. We think maybe he hit a tree with it and took it back to Enzo and said, I want a coupe. And this was a very famous man, and Enzo loved to have lunch with his wife. I have multiple pictures of that. Um, you know, Ingrid Bergman and the car was sent to Scagliati and said, here, fix it for this man. And Scagliati penned this thing pretty much in his mind and yeah. put, uh, took the chassis, bent wire over the chassis to form the, the body that he wanted and then built the car. John, I was incredibly fortunate because I was standing there with Butch Dennison who restored the car the first time when Scagliati walked up on the field at Pebble Beach and saw it. And he had tears in his eyes. I know. I know. It was amazing. I got the chance to talk with him through his translator uh, later. And I, and I said, tell me if we did anything wrong. Because <laughs> yeah. know, we, we were working from, you know, well, I finally found maybe seven total photographs of this car, all in black and white, of course. And he, he just looked at me and he said, Bellissimo, Bellissimo. Bellissimo. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's perfect. It's, hey, it's Keith, fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Do you have any other questions for for John before we jump to the next question? Yeah, John, I just can you describe the feeling when you got all the boxes home, you got them to the restoration shop, you walked in, you saw it, and you knew you were the owner, and now this was your car to bring back to life. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. that was, it was just just so amazing to go down there and get with with Butch Dennison and and open up all these things and look at everything and li- literally what we did was we uh, we got out lots of pads of paper and just started making notes about what were the questions that we would have of what might what what what's not there how do we decide on what the covering of the inside the headliner is going to be because we had little scraps of stuff that we think was the headliner and and, and so this one was one where I think I spent maybe six to nine months doing research, which was also doing research. We had to find like where were the we had to find the correct front turn signals, and we took photos of we had the photo of the of the old photo that we had, and we blew it up as best we could, and we sent it over to everybody we knew in Italy. And somebody finally said, oh, that's a Lancia part so-and-so was on this particular Lancia <laughs> in 53. Yeah. And so we were able to find a source for those. But it was that, that kind of a thing. We, we had all this stuff, and it was great. But to get all the information together so the restoration could really, really start. I mean, something started right away, you know, like, like getting the engine working and yeah. correctly and that, that sort of thing. But Wow. Well, I saw you when that car won Best of Show at Pebble. I, we've got a picture of you we had in the magazine of you with the loose leaf folder and the judges talking to you. And so is that how you were able to answer all their questions that when they would say, is this the correct headliner? Where are the headlights? So you, you had all that documented to show them? 
Yes, that's something I've done on every car, and I'll I'll, I'll give credit to David Smith for for showing me how how to do it way back when when uh, when I first got my first car to go take it to a Concours. Um, and it would basically have all the photographs that we could find with and as much information about the cars we could find the prior owners and you know one one of the things is, is this is a little bit of a subterfuge because what you want to do is you want to have the judges look at you and talk about the car and look in the book as long as possible because that gives them less time to actually <laughs> go over the car and try and find things that are, things that are wrong you know so these people just say okay here it is go judge it well they're going to get the full 20 minutes of uh, judging, or, you know, I'm I'm going to give out the whole the whole spiel on the on the on the on the car. Yeah, that's a great tip. Very cool. Well, John, let's talk about a vehicle that you've owned and you've let go. And the whole premise of this is: Are you okay with the fact you let it go? Or looking back, do you wish that you had kept it? Was it an easy release, or was it challenging? Take us there. Tell us what the year, make, and model of the vehicle was. And kind of walk us through that selling process. Okay. Uh, the car I, I picked is my 1957 uh, Testarossa, so a 250TR. It was serial 0666. It was, the first, it was the first Ferrari Testarossa made. It was the prototype, first prototype car. And I got the car. It was a total mess. I got it in 2002. We raced it for three years um, as it was, then restored it, showed it. And raced a rallied a little, but at the same time, I had a gotten a Maserati 300S, and I was doing the Maser, uh, the Ferrari Historic Challenge race, and both cars would be in the same drum brake class, and it was clearly that Maserati was a better car for American racetracks. I was doing better with it. I actually won the challenge one year, and I also had too many cars. I had too much money in, invested, and. You know, you sit you, you I walk through and I look at all the cars and, and I didn't want to sell anything to tell you the truth of but I really needed to because I'd sort of been acquiring other cars and I just had this mental number of how much I, I, I wanted to have invested in cars and I went to David Gooding and we talked about it. And David said, You know, this is an amazing car. Let let me talk around a little bit, ask around a little bit, but I think this would be a, a really great car to sell and I said, Well, well, I, I you think it's going to really sell well, then then I'm I'm willing to put it up at auction, and it went up at Pebble Beach in uh, in 2011 and set a world record. It was the highest price car that ever sold at auction at that point. Were you in the room when it sold, John? Oh, absolutely, I was in the room. Were you? I was. I was. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel did when it? the bidding got up there into those high high numbers? But you remember when it stalled? It got up to just about ten million, and it stalled, and there was yeah. a long period of time. And and both of the guys on the phone kept waving like, you know, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and then the next thing we know, it it, it you know it, it took what did it take? Nine minutes? Ten? Long minutes? time, long time. Yeah, it was the long lo- longest I've ever seen an- anything sell at auction, it, and it went up in increments. But then it ended up just behind, just a little short of. $15 million. Where, at what point did you get a sense of relief that I'm going to get what I need to get to let cut this car loose? Oh, <laughs> oh well, I don't, I don't know. How do you, I, mean, I don't mean, I don't mean the number, but I mean, was there I mean, a, I, I would have been just, dis- I would have been disappointed at 10, but at I would have, I, I would have made money. 
but I would have still made some money on it. I, I guess when you sell one, you kind of hope it really does well, that you, what you've done to it and the research that you've done and the restoration that you've done was telling, was really good. And yeah. I think we all would have been, Butch would have been disappointed if it hadn't gone up and done really well because we put, uh, that was a huge effort. You know, we, we found the, that car did not come with its original block. We found the block. Wow. So, luckily, it was, luckily, it was owned by Pete Lovely, <laughs> who said, you know, I, I've got a couple of old blocks back there. I think one of them is out of a TR, and we go back and look, and there's 06. And it's right up here in the Northwest. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, right. It was right with the guy that, that owned the the restoration shop at that point. Yeah. And people, a couple of people knew he had it, and they'd been after it. He liked to sell the people he knew, and I yeah. knew, of course, Pete super well, and good friends and so it was easy to make a deal with him but i mean the car had uh, the wrong engine uh, had a corvette rear end uh, so it would have been disappointing after putting that much effort into getting everything thing, yeah. thing correct and to answer the question am i sorry i sold it uh i've sold a couple of other i sold one other car i was i was really i'm still sorry i sold my 290mm um, but this one, you just can't look back and say, am I sorry? Uh, you know, I could be, I could say, I'm sorry from a money standpoint on everything I've sold. <laughs> right. Yeah. You use your cars and that's one of the great things I admire about you. Having known you for 26 years now, ever since I moved up here to the Northwest and raced with you back in the day with Sovereign, you were never afraid to drive your cars and use your cars along with, uh, you know, good friend, Greg Witten. Uh, you guys take them out. You share them with people. I mean, you always have, you know, Fred's taking care of your cars now. He's taking them to events. You don't hide your cars away. You share them with us, which I, I have to tell you, I really appreciate. I'll never have cars at that level. But the fact that you share them, you used to invite me to come up to your garage, and we shot pictures many, many times for Grio's Garage Catalog covers. This car you're talking about right now, I have a, a Christmas card of my son sitting in that car when he was like five months old, and, <laughs> and of me sitting in that car. I mean... That's the great thing about the kind of collector you are. I just want to thank you here for being that kind of a collector because so many people hide their cars away from everybody. Look, they're, they're automobiles. You know, like, like Ed Gilbert Sonoha says, Ferraris are meant to be driven. And, and I just love to take them out. And, and I think that I'm sort of a custodian owning them for, for, the, for the, whoever gets them in the future. And um, well, I'll give you an example. My son's going to race my, my GTO at, assuming the race goes on, um, at Sonoma. Nice. Um, this, this year. Uh, Tom's going to bring, Tom Price is bringing his to have someone else drive his. Neither one of us are racing anymore, but we still want to get the cars out. And yeah. this is uh, going to be a first class event. I, I certainly hope it, it could go on. And, and I take cars out, you know. Yeah. On, Sundays and Saturdays, and we just haul <laughs> out and go go drive out up to Snoqualmie or drive to the back roads around Carnation. We appreciate that as car collectors. Uh, it's wonderful, and uh, we thank you for, for what you've done for the hobby over these years. Let's take a short break and uh, thank our sponsors here, and we'll be back in just a moment. I've been subscribing to Sports Car Market Magazine for decades. It shows up like clockwork in my mailbox every single month. But what about when I'm on the road? Did you know that a digital subscription to Sports Car Market is just $2.50 a month when you sign up with the promo code DIGITAL50? That's less than a cup of coffee. 
you get 50% off a regular price just for listening here to the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast. Plus, digital subscribers receive instant access to a year's worth of back issues. No more boredom while you're at the airport, on a flight, or on the road. To get your Sports Car Market digital subscription, go to sportscarmarket.com digital50. Your order will automatically get you 50% off. What a deal. Go sign up today at, go sign up today at sportscarmarket.com digital50. So, John, we are back. I'd like for you to share. We talked about cars that you bought, cars you've let go. Now it's about the car that you will never let go. You're going to hang on to this one. Maybe tell us uh, some great memories you have about this vehicle, why you're going to hang on to it, and uh, perhaps the first time you drove it, the story about how you acquired it. Okay, sure. Well, the car is a 1949 166mm. It was a a factory team car that took second in the Millimilia and won the 24 hours of spa with Luigi Canetti driving it and came to the United States and was gentleman Jim Kimberly's race car, won the, the first race at, at Elkhart Lake, which, you know, begat Road America a few years later. And it was the first Ferrari to win a race in California down in the desert. Uh-huh. They had a race out there. And then and then it raced at, at Pebble Beach. And there was the famous situation where he, he rolled the car and his girlfriend uh, at the time, who uh, was a famous actress, came out and made sure he was okay. Anyway, I bought that car really early on in my collecting days at um, Gooding's, uh, at Christie's auction at, at Pebble Beach. And um, I bought it from David Gooding, and that's how we got to know each other. And the car came up to our place, and I guess I uh, drove it pretty pretty soon after it got there. It needed a lot of attention. It had been sitting for some period of time. But I just, I don't know, just me and the car bonded. You know, it, it, it's a very precise car to shift. It's it's not, a, it's a very unforgiving gearbox. Um, but it's a really fun car to drive. Well, I just had it, for example, in Italy in September on a rally for old Turing-bodied cars. Ferraris and and it was just wonderful to you know go tearing up through the mountain roads there with all of us and you know running at pretty good rates of speed and it never missed a beat. I have raced it. Um, we've taken it to concours. We've driven. My late wife and I drove thousands of miles on it. You know this is a car with no top. Um, we had all the rain gear and we had the old style helmets and. <laughs> yeah. um, we've driven we drove it in snow sleet hail um all one day in the colorado grand one year and it's it's it, i my 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 late wife at one point said you got to promise me never to sell this car and i said well that's a pretty easy promise yeah, no problem because because I, we've had so much fun in that car i mean that day in the colorado grand we it was the last day we were having lunch, you know, with another hundred plus miles to go to get back to back to uh, Vale, and we were outside, and we could just see this black cloud coming toward us, and the wind started blowing, and everybody stopped lunch, hopped in their cars, and within fifteen minutes we were in a downpour, and we were following Steve Earle in, a, in his Sea Jaguar, and he was following somebody in a closed car. And the three of us just, just stayed as close to one another as we wow. could. As we figured, the guy in the closed car's a, a, a wife, 
can read the route book. Right. We can't read the route books. We're in, you know, and, and then it turned to sleet, and then it turned to snow as we went up in elevation. Oh, my gosh. And you just couldn't see anything. And we made it all the way back to Phil. <laughs> and we got out. And Steve looked back and said, oh, I'm so glad we were able to stay close to that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we went wow. Up, we went up and, and uh, turned out uh, that was a, an amazing day. But it, the little car did fine. A little boat, yeah. I'm ne- it's never broken down on me in, in an event, and it's literally gone many thousands of, of miles. We don't run it anymore with the original engine. The original engine is completely intact and, and runs, so we could put it back back yeah. in. So let me let me ask you a tough question, John, because you have so many cars. Is there a car that you don't own that you think about having as being a great all-around collector car, something you've always said, gee, I wish I owned one of those so I could tour and do everything I want to with a collector car? What car would that be? I don't have a wish for another car. If, If there were two cars I really, really thought I would like in my collection, one of them the 250 GT short wheelbase Ferrari, you know, and um, I just never got one for some reason. Never saw one that was right. And the other one was a Lamborghini Miura, and I fulfilled that wish last year. That was the last car I bought. Beautiful car, by the way, and stunning color. I love that orange. To me, my California Spider is that car. That's the one that we'll take to the Colorado Grand this year, for example. What is it about, John? What is it about that California Spider that ticks all the boxes for you? Well, it's eligible to go into into everything. It's a long wheelbase car, so it's early enough it can it can it can get into the California Mille and and, and the Grand. It's superbly comfortable. I, I'm I'm getting old and getting in and out of cars is getting a bit more difficult <laughs> in twisting my body around, and that car's. A lot easier. It's got more room in it. It, uh-huh. it, it has a top. It even has a heater, <laughs> surprisingly. That's nice. And it, it's a wonderful driving car. It's got a great sound. It's got a lot of a lot of acceleration. Um, and, and it's good at altitude. And my new wife is, I haven't put her through the driving in full wet, wet weather gear and in, <laughs> in a topless old Old car, we may do that at some point. I've got still got all the gear, and she's got a helmet. Yeah. When we've done the the 166, we we've had good weather, luckily. So, John, I'd like to throw in a question here that we we didn't plan to do, but I I I, I'd like to ask you to talk about how you came to own David Cohen's 8C2900 because he used to drive that car down to Portland for our Northwest Classic Rally. I'd follow him in my little Julietta. I helped him gas it up sometimes. Uh, He'd then drive it down to Pebble Beach. He drove that car everywhere. And then it was kind of gone for a while. And then it reappeared in your possession. How did, how did that happen? How did it come to be your car? You know, this is, this is a great story. Butch Dennison transported that car and my Lotus 18 race car and a couple of other race cars back to Watkins Glen. And they wanted the car because it won the first Watkins Glen race in 1948. And I think David went back there and you know, there was a ceremonial drive before they start the race where they drive the old track around on the streets. And then the car was put back on the trailer and the trailer went to Road America and I was racing at Road America. 
in the juniors class, and Butch unloaded the, the trailer and parked the car in the paddock next to the trailer. And I don't think I'd ever even seen it before, and I walked over, and I'm looking at it, and I'm kind of curious. And, and then Butch goes into the full sales spiel about why this is one of the greatest cars in the world and shows me the engine, and, and we talk about it more and more and more. And so I got in touch with David Cohen, and I said, would you be interested in selling it? And he said, no, I'll never sell the car. And I said, okay, do this. Would you give me a first right of refusal if you do decide to sell the car? And he said, okay. And that was overheard, luckily, by Steve Bain. And then fast forward quite a few years, word gets out that he is interested in selling the car. And we immediately call him up and remind him of the right of first refusal. Now, at this point, John Mozart, Bruce McCaw, all the usual suspects, Tom Price, everybody's in line. You know, they all they're all trying to get to him to uh, to make her off, offer in the car. And he said, "Well, you have to pay me what I want for it." And I said, "Well, that's what an offer, that's what a right of first refusal means, David. What do you want?" He gave me a price, and I said, "Okay." There you go. And he said, "Oh, all right. Yeah. How soon can you come up here?" <laughs> said, I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> I, I, it's exactly what we did. We got in our Jaguar E-Type. We drove up to up to up to Vancouver the next day and and uh, and saw him and drove the car around and and uh, had lunch with him and had the car picked up the, the following week. Well, what did it, what did you what do you remember from the first time you drove that car? Um, well, you know, it's it's it like all my old cars is a right-hand drive car, but it's also center throttle and the shift pattern is reversed to all the other left-hand shift cars. The left-hand shift car normally carries the same pattern as if it was a left-hand drive car. So, you know, first is where it usually is. In this car, it's reversed. First is near you and up. So you have to put your, you know, I'm driving this car hat on. But after about 20 minutes, I realized this car is as comfortable as a Hertz rental car. It goes over railroad tracks at speed, and because it has independent rear suspension, nothing much happens. And this is 1938, and you realize that it's a supercar. It's got incredible acceleration because it's so light, and the engine's you know, twin superchargers. There's no slouch, and um, it's very comfortable. It's got a lot of room inside, and it was so much fun that um, we decided before we restored it, We'd get it out on the road, and we did the Butch and I did the Mila Milia in it. Wow, which was great fun. Oh yeah, and I mean, and you can imagine what the Italians would would do. They'd see this car coming, and you'd, you'd see their eyes narrow, and they and then they'd realize what it was, and then they'd all start jumping up and down and waving at you. And, yeah, because I mean they're very rare. I mean, they only made five of the coupes, and they only made they made less than fifty eight C twenty nine hundreds. Nobody knows for sure. But um, it was one of the very rare times that one of them came back and did the uh, the current Mille Amelia. And, of course, that car went on to roll across the ramp there at Pebble Beach for Best of Show as well. So after Butch uh, got his hands on it. Yeah, congratulations. So, John, let me, let me ask you one more question kind of about the market. We started off by you saying that it's soft. Now, you also said you've got a lot of cars and you're really not out there looking. At the same time, does the softness and the, perhaps a... Uh, uh, major correction in prices. Has that got you your radar turned up a little bit for something that might be a deal that's too good to pass up? 
Oh, if if that happened and the pricing really really went down and some interesting cars came out, yeah, I, I might I might go looking again. But you know, I watched prices march steadily upward since since 1990, um, and you know, my major reason for looking at the market is we decide how much do I need to insure these things for. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, because that's you know, I mean, that's a real concern. And when I when I say the market's soft, I say I looked at Haggerty Tannels, my insurance. We went over it all, um, and this is a year when nothing increased in value. Basically, we pretty much kept all the the values the same as they were uh, last year, and that's a bit unusual. Um, sure. Usually, there's something that's some sale that's happened that says, "Well, we ought to raise the insurance on this by by X." But yep. that hasn't uh, hasn't, hasn't happened. That hasn't. No, it it hasn't. There's always a deal to be had out there somewhere, and I know John, someone like you, has always got his radar up. But again, I I just want to thank you for bringing your cars out for all all of us to enjoy. You've taken us on an amazing ride today, a treasure trove of knowledge that you've shared with us. I want to thank you for that. If there's maybe one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance you could offer our listeners when it comes to buying, holding, or selling collector cars, what would it be? Well, I think what we were talking, what you were, what, what you brought up about looking for something that's just as amazing buy. Last fall at the Gooding auction, my son bought a 1959 Alpha Giulietta Spider Veloce. It had no reserve. It was estimated at 140 to 160, I think, and um, he bought it all in at 106 thousand dollars. It was beautifully restored. I've seen the car, and if you talk about an all-around perfect car, you know, if, you, if you've got 100 grand to spend, this is one incredibly beautiful, nice little car that you can have a great deal of of fun with. So those things happen. Go if you go to the auctions and you you, you kind of watch what's happening. Uh, this was late in the day. It was no reserve, and you know what you said in the magazine about it. Wait. It was a steal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you well, good go. for him. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, it's great. You know, it's funny, John. You know, alphas are close to me, but there's something about those Julieta and Julia Julia spiders with that little twin cam motor and the two Webers. They they give you that great Italian experience, but for not millions of dollars. Yeah, exactly. And and also, one of the most active clubs, at least up our way, of course, Fred Russell, you know, working for me, is involved in Alpha stuff every week. They do so many things. They do drives, and they do track days, and they, you know, they're, they're constantly active. So if you want to have a collector car, but have a lot of fun, having a, an active club... Yes. A car that belongs to an active club is a huge help. I mean, they all drove down to watch the eclipse of the sun. And Fred <laughs> found them a route, a route that got them did not spend any time on a uh, on an interstate. So cool. <laughs> they had the great back roads experience. And, and I don't think Fred ever drives on interstates if you can avoid it. Yeah, <laughs> best to stay off of those. Well, listeners, again, you can find everything John has shared with us today on his show notes page. You can go to Sports Car Market dot com slash podcast or you can go to my website carsyad.com uh the page will be there and john again thank you for calling in uh today i know you're calling in from across that 
big uh, breath of water. You're over there in Hawaii enjoying some uh, warm sunshine. I want to thank you for spending time with, with us today. And again, my genuine thanks for sharing cars that you've done for all of us over the years. It's so tremendous. I really appreciate you being with us today. And John, I'd like to personally thank you, too, for you've written a couple of great articles for us. One about having the the cars that won Best of Show at Pebble, post-war and pre-war, some cars on the uh, cars and art. Uh, They're a unique perspective. You're a good writer, and I appreciate having your byline in the sports car market. Well, thanks very much, Keith, and thank you, Mark. This this has been fun. It was just fun just sitting down and thinking about... uh, about about the uh, questions I'd get asked. Well, we're happy to bring back some happy memories. We'll see you when you get back to the mainland. Have fun over there. Aloha. Aloha. Be safe. Hey, before you go, this is Mark Green. If you love the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast, you'll want to listen to my Cars Yeah podcast, where over six years I've interviewed over 1,565 inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Cars Yeah comes to you five days a week. These are inspiring people who share their world around cars, trucks, and motorcycles. I take a deep dive into their business, into their lives, and they'll share with you how they've wrapped their passion for vehicles into their careers and their businesses. Plus, go to CarsYeah.com website and hit the free book button, and I'll send you my free filler up ebook. It's free and it's filled with fuel filler fun inspiring quotes from past guests on cars yeah once you subscribe you'll get my weekly blog as well you can find all the cars yeah shows on cars yeah.com or on any mobile device using your podcast app just search for cars yeah podcast and subscribe today that way you'll get both buy sell hold with keith and i here and you'll get the cars yeah podcast delivered right to your mobile device check it out We hope you have shed some light today on the collector car market. You can listen to all the Buy, Sell, Hold podcasts at sportscarmarket.com and carsyeah.com. You'll find hundreds of inspiring automotive enthusiasts on the Cars Yeah website as well. Be sure to log into sportscarmarket.com and subscribe to Keith's SCM weekly newsletter. You'll find digital issues, insider event guides, and price guides, along with our platinum database, column profiles, classifieds, and many other resources. Join Keith and Mark next week to hear from another automotive industry leader who will help you determine when to buy, sell, or hold.